You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So we're starting a brand new series today called Starting Over, and you might have heard about it. Maybe you received some mail about it this week, or maybe you saw something online about advertising this series. And today we're talking about regrets. And this is something that's universal because we all have regrets. It's something that we all deal with. Sometimes they're big regrets. Sometimes they're small regrets. Sometimes it's something that's not a big deal. Sometimes it's something that really is pretty heavy and can be um, pretty tough to deal with. And as I was preparing this and thinking about some stories of my regrets because I could just sit here all day and we could just give you all the regrets in my life because I've got many of them. I wanted to start off with something a little more light because, you know, regrets can be a heavy topic. And so I was thinking about this one time. I was in Washington, D.C., was there with my wife, Christy, and traveling around the D.C. area. If you've ever been, they have a great subway system called the Metro. And the Metro will just get you wherever you need to be. Just get there, park your car, just ride the Metro around. It's amazing. Don't have to deal with the traffic. It's great. And so if you've ever been on the Metro, subway before because it's underground. There are escalators that go down, right? And they take you down. And if you've been on the metro, there's tons of escalators. They're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's escalators up, down, different levels. And so when we get there, we're riding the trains around and about middle, midway through the trip, we get off the train the one night, and it's, it's late. Um, we'll just blame it on that. It was late. And as we're coming off the train, um, I see the escalators and start walking to it, and Christy's behind me. And I see, like, it's getting jammed up around the one escalator. A lot of people trying to get out at one time, getting off the train. And so I notice there's, like, an escalator next to it. No one's on that one, so I just walk straight towards that escalator. And I don't know in that moment if you've ever done something like this, but I take a step on the escalator, and suddenly I realize it's the down escalator. And at this point, I don't know what happened in my mind, but I was committed. I was in. I, I don't know what happened. I just was like, oh, that's down. And so I just start hoofing up this thing, like, you know, just huffing and getting up this thing, walking down the, walking up the down escalator. And now this is where it gets really fun. Right next to me, there was a large group of teenagers who were riding the correct escalator up. They see what I am doing and they literally start cheering for me in the metro. They just start clapping and cheering for me. And I finally get to talk to the time and they just go nuts. They just cheer. They're like, yeah, they're like high-fiving me and stuff. I'm like, oh. And so literally I see Christy coming up behind him, her hands on her face, right? And she's like, comes over, she's like, what are you doing? Like, why? Why would you? And I'm like, I don't know what happened. Literally, I just, I just got on the escalator and it was going the wrong way. And I was like, I'm committed. I can't go down. For some reason, I went the whole way up. And thankfully, it wasn't one of those really long marathon ones. It's like, you know, a hundred steps. It was just, you know, a smaller one, just enough to really embarrass me. And so I don't know if you've ever done something that you've just in the middle of it before you even get through with it, it becomes a regret, right? You didn't even have time to like think about it. It's just an instant regret. And that's something that I regretted. And sometimes you can laugh about a regret, right? Sometimes it's something that's like lighthearted like that. You can look back, but sometimes you can't laugh about regrets. Why? Because sometimes it might be a little too soon, or sometimes it's just honestly an issue that's just a little too heavy. And it's never something that's a laughing matter. And because we all have regrets, we all have regrets, and, and something that I want to share about us today is um, something called a website, and they've got a picture that you'll put up here on the screen, and maybe you've heard of this before. It's called Secret Regrets, 
And on this website, you can actually go on, this is a real website, you can go check it out, secretregrets.com, and people will post anonymously some of their regrets that they feel, something that they would never say out loud to people, but in, in, in being anonymous, now they're able to go on, post that on there, and um, share that with people. And so I've got a couple from the site that I wanted to read for, with you for you today. The first one is this, I regret marrying my husband just three weeks ago. I should have called it off before I walked down the aisle. I'm 23, and I just haven't had the time to learn to love myself yet. The second one is this. My biggest regret, one that plagues me in my waking moments for some sleeping moments, is that when I was given the opportunity to go to USC for screenwriting, I didn't take the chance. And then finally, I regret not telling people how he hurt me. Now if he's hurting other people, it's my fault. And as you read some of this stuff, I mean, it's honestly just gut-wrenching just to see the regrets that people have. And, and really, regrets are universal. We, we all have them, sometimes big, sometimes small, sometimes being an idiot like me running up the escalator. But every regret is unique. The sorrow we feel in response to our regrets is deeply personal. And sometimes we say, oh, I wish I'd never, you know what I'm talking about? I wish I'd never would have done that. And, and I think there are three categories that we can talk about today for regrets. And the first one is simply that. They are regrets of action. Regrets of action. These are things like, I wish I would have never told that lie, right? The lies that we've told. The relationships that we've torpedo, torpedoed. Maybe it was been recently, maybe it's been a long time ago. Or dumb choices that we've made. I can, I'm familiar with that one. Rage that we've unleashed. Money that we've blown. Addictions that we've fed. These are regrets of action. For instance, I have said things that I have regretted as I was saying them, as they're coming out of my, you've ever been there? Like the words are coming out of your mouth, you're like, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, right? You're just like, when like no, 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 you just, and you're saying it anyway. You just regret it instantly. It's that action, you regret them. And so the other one that I want to talk about is the regrets of inaction. And this is different from action because these are things that happen that um, aren't action, but inaction, things we didn't do. And this comes from this, uh, the book of Common Prayer. Check out this quote. It says, most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and then catch this, and by what we have left undone. See, the things that we have undone, those are the inaction, the things that we wish that we have done. Regrettable inactions could be things like opportunities that we've missed, time that we've wasted, risks that we didn't take, love that we didn't leave, that we didn't express, words that weren't spoken, and forgiveness that we've withheld. That is inaction. And see, in the short term, researchers say that it's the regrets of action that we tend to, tend to feel or regret more often or become more painful. But they have shown that over time, it's the regrets of inaction that actually become the heaviest and the hardest for us to deal with in life. It actually gave us this famous poem that you may have heard before. For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been, right? That's a regret of inaction. If only I had of, if I would have just done, right? That's the regret of inaction. And many people, when they evaluate regrets, we really only think of those two things. We think of action and we think of inaction, the things that we've done and the things that we didn't do. But honestly, I don't think we can stop there. There's a third category that I want to talk about today because sometimes the greatest regrets that we have are the ones that are hurtful because it's something that was done to us. Not necessarily something that we have have done, but something that was done to us completely out of our control. And we're going to call these the regrets of reaction. The regrets of reaction. 
These are regrets like the accident that I was in, the illness that I got, the abuse that I took, how neglected I was, the rejection that I felt, the betrayal that I experienced. See, when bad things happen to us, quite naturally, we regret them. And sometimes these regrets of reaction are the ones, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes they hurt the most. So we're going to take a look at a video of a lady named Jacqueline, and she's going to share her story and how she knows regret personally. Take a look. Jacqueline, and this is my starting over story. My mother migrated from Guatemala uh, to the United States, and I was born in Boston. Uh, when I was two, we moved to Chicago after my parents had separated. My mom was pretty much the entryway to all our family from Guatemala to migrate to, to the United States. So we never had a home where it was just a mom and dad and the kids. It was cousins, aunts, uncles, um, and so on, and neighbors from back home. Because of that, there was a access uh, to a lot of abuse uh, for a child. and and physically or emotionally and sexually. I kind of found myself in, in a sexual abuse situation from about four to about 12. At the age of 12, I told my mom, you know, what had happened. I don't believe that she didn't believe me. I don't, I believe that she didn't want to believe me. And so not growing up with my father, I think that's what, what, made me gravitate to certain people that were not good for me and that just set me up to have a failed relationship after a failed relationship after another failed relationship because I was always searching for that fatherly love. For me, it wasn't like, why, why did you leave my mother? It was, why didn't you protect me you know, when I was a child? The reason that all kind of came to light is because I had started a relationship with a man and that's where it all came back, and I had to tell this man, and I was 12, that, that he wasn't the first one to touch me in, in the way that that was happening. And so this man um, was eight years older than me. Um, and at the time, I decided to start a relationship with this man that was eight years older than me. Um, who became the father of my child. I was 16 when I got pregnant. I was 17 when I had him. Three months later, he was, after he was born, I left this man when I turned 18. Still dealing with the anger and still dealing with the self-destruction because I was still doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But I was still very present in parenting. Go to work, uh, come home, be the single mom, put him to bed and then go out at night and then come back home before Devon woke up. And so that was kind of like my routine from like Thursday to Sunday. Growing up as a child, we knew about God and we heard about God. I kind of knew, you know, you have the, the, the notion that there is a higher being, but there is no relationship, there's no example or anyone really teaching that to me. So something that you may hear in Jacqueline's story is something that we call from this book starting over that they call the sorry cycle. 
And the sorry cycle is when we get into this cycle where we feel sorry about what we did, we feel sorry about what happened, and we're sorry about what happened to us. And we go from longing to regret and back to longing and then to regret and longing and to still more regret. I think we actually have an image there you can see where we get stuck in this sorry, sorry cycle. And something that happens, we just get stuck and we can't move on. It doesn't matter if it's a regret of inaction, of action, or reaction. We just get stuck in this pattern. It's like Psychologists actually have a term for getting stuck in our regrets, and they call it rumination. Rumination is kind of like when a cow just chews its cud over and over again. It just keeps chewing it over and over again. Rumination is when in our minds, in our hearts, our souls, we just continue to be in this cycle. We get stuck over and over and over again. We just keep living this regret, and we long for more. We long for something else. We long to get out, but then we just come back to that regret again, and we get stuck in this sorry cycle. Matter of fact, one clinical psychologist explained it like this. Regret can have damaging effects on our mind and body. When regret turns into rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. See, regrets can have a paralyzing effect on us to the point where we get stuck and we can't move on beyond it. So I want to ask you this question today. And I think you have to really be honest with yourself in this, is what regrets did you bring with you today? Is it a regret of action, something that you've done? Of inaction, something that you wished you had done, an opportunity that seems to have passed? Is it a regret of reaction, of something that was done to you that was completely out of your control and that you couldn't have done anything about? See, my prayer and my hope for you is that you do not get stuck. And that's why I'm so excited about this series, Starting Over. And as I said, most of this is about the from the book, Starting Over. And if you're here for the first time, we've got a book for you. We'd encourage you to read it. But honestly, this series, it's for like, well, what's the deal with this? What's the big deal? This series is for people like Jacqueline in the video who had regrets. It's a series for people like me who have regrets. And it's a series for people just like you too. See, whether it's action, inaction, reaction, we all have regrets. And we want to learn how to break out of the sorry cycle. And not only that, we want to learn to love our regrets. How is that possible? We'll take a look at that in the coming weeks. So over the next five weeks, we're going to learn how to recognize specific regrets. We're going to learn how to release those regrets back to God. And then we're going to see those regrets as an opportunity to start over. And also that God is big enough to redeem any regret. So I'd encourage you to read the book if you've got it today or take a look at it, read it along with us this month as we go through it. But even better opportunities to get involved in a tree-lined small group. Groups kick off this week, and I encourage you to get in a small group. If it's your first time or you've been coming here for a year, you need to be in a small group. We believe that life change happens not in rows like we're sitting in now, but in circles. If you have any questions about small groups, you can let us know. You can simply go to the website if you want to sign up for a small group, see where those are meeting, but I encourage you strongly to get involved in a small group. We'll be talking specifically about this book and about this topic throughout the rest of the month. So I encourage you to jump in, get involved in a small group. So we're going to take a look in the scripture and see what it says about regret. And honestly, there's a lot of things, a lot of people who experience regret. I mean, you could just like kind of pick someone. And honestly, most of the stories there has some kind of element in regret. But today I want to talk about a guy named Peter. And maybe you've heard of Peter before, a little background on Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of his followers. And so Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was going around doing his ministry. And he picked these 12 guys, just ordinary guys, fishermen, just regular, regular old Joe 
Joe on the street, right? Calls him in, hey, I want you to follow me. He's teaching them how to live for God, teaching them how to put God's kingdom first. He's teaching them how to follow him and live and follow him and be like Christ. And so Peter is one of those guys. But not only that, Peter is one of Jesus's closest friends. So the 12 people he's got closest, Peter would probably be considered even probably his best friend, someone that was really close to him. And so we're going to take a look at two scenes from Peter's life and see how Jesus helped Peter start over. So in scene number one, Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire among guards and curious bystanders outside the high priest's home. And to set the story up, Jesus had just been arrested. So the religious leaders were not happy with what was going on with Jesus. The fact that he was claiming to be the son of God, the fact that everywhere he went, these miraculous signs and wonders happened, people getting healed, people being raised from the dead. I mean, I would imagine that would draw a crowd. Well, as this was happening and more and more people started turning to Jesus and following him, the religious leaders at the time were not okay with it. They didn't want to lose control. They, so they, they arrest Jesus. One of his followers actually betrays him. And so they arrest him. And now he's standing before the high priest to face judgment, to see what's going to happen to him. And this is where we pick up in the story. So this just happens. And in this moment, just a few hours before his arrest, Peter boasts about his bravery. Peter tells everyone, man, if, if something happens, I'm going to follow Jesus to the death. But now as the smoke fills his nostrils over this charcoal fire, he's nervous. He tries to blend in anxiously as he watches to see what's going to happen next. Everyone knows that violence is about to come. And suddenly someone speaks to Peter directly around this fire. They're like, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? And he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then someone else chimes in, yeah, you are. I've seen you with him. You were with Jesus. You are one of his followers. And, Jesus, and Peter gets indignant. He's like, I don't know him. And not, not once, not two times, but three times. Peter's like, I don't know who this guy Jesus is. You've got the wrong person. I don't know what you're talking about. When just hours earlier, Peter was boasting that he would follow Jesus. And in that moment, as soon as he tells the third time that he doesn't know who Jesus is, a rooster crows. And why is that significant? Because here in Luke 22, you can see what happens. At that moment, the Lord looked, turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Can you imagine the regret that Peter felt in that moment? saying that he was going to do whatever it took to follow Jesus. To the death, he was going to follow him. But when he was given his opportunity, instead denies he even knows who Jesus is three times. Around that charcoal fire, Peter feels the flames of regret. He can't believe that what he's done after all that Jesus has done for him, after everything that Jesus has showed him, the way that he's loved him, that the way that in his greatest time of need that he walked away from Jesus. See, many of us know the sting of regret and the situation. It might be a little bit different and it might not be as something that's as big of a deal, but the circumstances, they may be different. It may not be as drastic, but we all know what it's like to feel the sting of regret. See, Peter could have stuck there in that regret, but Jesus wouldn't let him stay there. As we move to the second scene of Peter's story, we find him out on the lake fishing with other disciples. And suddenly one of the other disciples, John, sees this figure on the beach and he recognizes it to be Jesus. Well, Peter, he can't wait for the boat to get up on shore. So he jumps into the water and immediately begins to swim out to the shore to meet Jesus. But as he approaches, a familiar smell smacks him in the nose. It's a charcoal fire. Jesus is there cooking breakfast of all things over a charcoal fire. 
Smells have a really interesting way of conjuring up memories, don't they? Matter of fact, they say that the sense of smell is tied to memory. For instance, when I smell a fresh-cut pine tree, it takes me back to my childhood at Christmas time, right? Just something about the smell of pine and, and Christmas trees and spending time together. It's just instant. When I smell diesel exhaust, it reminds me of riding the bus as a school. And I'm sure that's probably a really good thing to have tied to your memory, diesel exhaust. But yeah, I do. And even the time I was in, band, in marching band in high school and we would ride the bus all over the place. I, that just instantly takes me there, riding the bus when I smell that. Or the smell of pizza reminds me that I'm about to consume way too many calories, right? Somebody, come on. It's just that smell instantly. It's like self-control. Nope, it's gone. It's out the window. It's done eating this whole pizza. Smells really do conjure up memories and with them corresponding emotions. See, there are only two charcoal fires that are mentioned in all of scripture, and Peter happens to be at both of them. And as the smell of his betrayal fills the air, Jesus serves them breakfast, and then it's time for a conversation. I think this is where the phrase comes from. It's time for a come-to-Jesus meeting. This is that moment for Peter, right? And so this is what he says to him in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. See, not once, not twice, but three times Jesus goes through the same thing and asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter responds, yes, you know, I love you. And I think this really corresponds perfectly for the three times that Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Jesus then asks him three times, do you love me? And so what's happening how is now Jesus in this moment? He's doing something in this exchange that's going to help Peter start over. The first thing is this. Jesus confirms the relationship. See, implied in Jesus' question when he's saying, do you love me? It's priceless. He's not just saying, do you love me? He's saying, I still love you, Peter. Do you still love me? And see, in this moment, he's confirming the relationship. And why is that important? Because when we know that we are loved, we can find the courage to face our regrets. Jesus didn't chastise Peter. He didn't re rehash what happened. He didn't give him the cold shoulder. He didn't blow it off as no big deal. He no, no, instead of any of that, many of the things that I would have probably done to someone who would hurt me in that way, that's not what Jesus does. He affirms his love for Peter. And he gives him the opportunity to affirm him back. He confirms the relationship but then Jesus does something else too. Jesus confirms his purpose. See, after each affirmation of love comes this, feed my lambs. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? So you love me, Peter. If you do, you're going to take care of my livestock. Like what's going on here? Like what, what does that have to do with anything? Is he like trying to like get something out of him? You know, why, why would he tell him to feed his lambs? But you got to remember this, that earlier Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. And he commissions Peter to join him in his mission in the world. By giving Peter a job to do, he is saying, Peter, you still have a purpose to fulfill. You are not disqualified. I'm not done with you. Matter of fact, I need you. And I want you to lead and care for my followers. See, Jesus refuses to let Peter get stuck in the sorry cycle. He confirms his relationship, but then he confirms Peter's calling. And with this, Peter can move on from the regret and he can start over. And here's what I want us to understand more than anything today. And catch this if you don't get anything else. Is that what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. 
If you are stuck in a regret of action, hear God speaking to you today. If it was his words to you and to your heart saying, I love you no matter what. Nothing could ever change the way that I feel about you. If you were stuck in a regret of inaction, hear God saying this, it's not over, I'm not done with you yet. If you were stuck in a regret of reaction, hear God saying, you are not damaged goods. I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life. See, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. He wants to confirm your relationship, saying that he loves you. He wants to confirm your calling and your purpose. He wants this to be the day that you were able to start over. And just like Peter, it was when Jacqueline met Jesus that she got unstuck from the regrets of the past. Take a look. During that time, um, I met a man who gave me a chance and that was the beginning of a career change, a lifestyle change. I started caring more about my job and my son and my well-being than the partying, the drugs, and the alcohol. My oldest sister, um, her name is Shenny, she goes to work one Wednesday evening and ha suffers a brain aneurysm rupture. And by Friday, she was declared brain dead. And so that was the biggest earthquake of my life. I had lost my best friend. my cheerleader. So that rocked me. And I didn't know how to deal with this but to suppress it, just to ignore it. Eight months later, I have a mental breakdown and I decide I'm done. And so I attempt suicide January. Two days later after I come out, my nephew Steve collapses um, at work. He needed a new kidney and so when I learned about the living donor, I put my name on the list. He needed a second chance at life, and I think I needed a second chance at life, a purpose. And so I think God uses this to give me my second chance. I called my mom and I said, Mom, I gotta go to church. And so I go to church that Friday and I ask for prayer. I was very scared, I was terrified. And so I asked God into my life, and I told him, I asked Jesus, if you are real, if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is all real, then give me this. Give me him healthy, me healthy, and then we're gonna walk out of this operation on Monday together. I told him, I will be yours. I will give my life to you, I will serve you, so you make me useful. And. And we walked out on Monday. After the surgery and, and seeing that he did come through for me, I said, okay, well, this is serious. <laughs> so I started learning and I just dug myself into scripture. That started a journey of healing for me. Every day is an opportunity for me to start over. Um, every day I still mess up. Every day I can probably still go back to think about those things. It's not over, mm. but, but I have a choice to start over every day, every morning. 
See, what happens so often in life is that we see regret as a finish line, when in fact it's meant to be a starting line. It's not the end, it's simply a beginning. See, regret is meant to be a functional emotion. Regret, it moves us to reparative action. It gives us the motivation to do things differently, to make things right. Take a look at what journalist Kathleen Scholl says. Regret doesn't remind us that we did badly. It reminds us that we can do things better. That it's not that we did wrong. It's that we can do something better than we did. And in that way, we can learn to love our regrets because they can launch us forward into a better future. See, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you today. Matter of fact, the last thing that Jesus says to Peter around that charcoal fire is this. Follow me. Follow me. And in those simple words, affirming his relationship with Jesus, affirming his calling and his purpose, that he was needed, that he was useful, he simply ends it by saying, if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. And Peter, simply follow me. See, Jesus invites Peter on a journey to go beyond his regrets. And that is the journey that he wants to take you and me on for the rest of the series. A, a journey where we will learn to live beyond our regrets and start over. As I said, in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about recognizing our regrets. Because sometimes it's just a challenge just to be able to recognize the regrets that before us and really figure out that's something that caused us to get stuck into that sorry cycle. And that we can learn that we can release those regrets. And it's not something that has to hold us bound or captive and we don't have to get stuck there. And that we know that there's a God who is big enough to redeem any regret. Friends, I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you have messed up. I don't care if you feel the ship has sailed and it's gone too far gone and there's a regret of inaction that you feel could never be redeemed. Or if it's something that's a regret of inaction that has been done to you, our God is big enough to redeem any regret in your life. As we close today, I'm going to give us a moment today, and maybe you came here with a regret. And I'll be the first one to say that I have regrets in my life. Sure, some are light and funny like the story I've told, but man, I have lived some three really difficult things. I faced some really big hardships. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask anyone who wants to start over today, I'm going to ask you to stand so we can pray for you. But before I ask you to stand at your chair, I want to point out this quote from Danish philosopher. He said this, life can only be understood backwards. <laughs> How true is that? The more life you live, the more you understand that. But then he says this, but it must be lived forwards. See, as you look backwards, we all have regrets. Maybe it's a regret of action, it's inaction or reaction, but this is the moment where we can choose to love our regrets because we know that God promises to love us and use us for his great cause. If that's you today, I'm just gonna ask you to stand if you wanna start over and you're saying, Brian, include me in that prayer and I am the first one on my feet today. So if that's you, when we pray, you can simply stand where you are and you were to say, I want to start over. And as those are standing, I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads today, close their eyes as we pray. 
And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, whether you're standing or not, and you've got a regret today, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment, I'm gonna go through a list of regrets. And if this regret is something that you identify with today, and maybe it's more than one, whether you're standing or whether you're sitting, and you're saying, Brian, include me in this prayer. Maybe it's a regret, it's a relational regret. A relationship that went bad, a relationship that went wrong, something that you didn't feel that you put the effort in. If that's you today, just simply raise your hand for a moment and put it back down. Awesome, I see those hands, put them down. Maybe it's a health regret. Maybe you regret not taking care of yourself better. Something happened that was out of your control. And so today it's a health-related regret that you have today. Just simply sip your hand up for just a moment. I see those hands. You can put them back down. Maybe today you're saying here, whether you're standing or sitting, that it's a financial regret. And you regret the money that you wasted or blown or wish that you had done things or stewarded your finances better. If that's you today, just simply put your hand and put it down. I see those hands. Maybe you're here today and your regret is tied to your purpose. Maybe you wish that you had done something else, lived for something bigger than just what was in front of you or wish you would have chased after that dream. If that's you today, just simply raise that hand and put it back down. I see those hands. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, it's a spiritual regret. You wish you would have just followed after God closer. You wish you wouldn't have walked away. You wish you wouldn't have allowed whatever it was to stop you from pursuing God. If that's you today, simply raise that hand. For just a moment, I see those hands. You can put them down. And so whether your regret fits into one of those categories or some other, if today you would like to start a journey to start over, would you just raise your hand with me and my first one in the air today? I see those hands. You can put them down. Let's pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are a God that is bigger than any regret that we face. And Lord, we come to you today with regrets that are big, regrets that are small. God, things that we have messed up, things that we have done, we're saying, man, it's my fault and I really wish I wouldn't have done that. God, I pray that today we would know that you are bigger. God, that you love us. God, if it's a regret of inaction, something that we feel that we didn't do or we, we missed the boat, we missed the train, it just seemed like we should have done it. And looking back, it's just so painful because man, in that moment, if we could just relive it, if we could hit that reset button and redo it, we'd do it the right way. God, I just pray that we would begin to release those regrets to you. And God, I lift up today every single person who is dealing with regrets of inaction. God, that they would hear your words to them today, that you love them, and that it was never your plan for that to happen to them. But God, even though it was not your plan, you are a God that is big enough and able enough, and you are capable, God, to redeem any regret. So today, I pray they would hear your words, that they are loved, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose for their lives, God. God, every single one of us were created on purpose for a purpose. God, I thank you, Jesus, today. If you're standing, you can take your seat. And while you're seated, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we want to finish with this today. <laughs> the words that Jesus used that he told Peter at the very end, follow me. Friends, the best decision that you can ever make with your life is simply to take up Jesus on that offer and follow after him. So maybe you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never asked him to come into your life. You've never lived a life for Christ. Maybe you've always been on the outside looking in. Maybe you've been skeptical. Maybe you just couldn't reconcile what's going on with this God thing. But I want to encourage you today, the best thing you can do to get out of the sorry cycle and live a life beyond regret and start over is simply to take up Jesus on his offer of following after him. 
You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have everything in your life looking great. It doesn't matter. Jesus wants you as you are where you are right now. He sent his son to die for you, to pay the price for my mistakes, for your mistakes, for our regrets, so that we could follow after him. If you're here today and maybe at one point you said yes to following after Jesus, maybe you invited Christ into your life and maybe along the way in that journey something happened. Maybe something painful happened. Maybe a regret of an action happened. Something happened to you. It happened to a friend and you couldn't reconcile how a good God would allow something like that to happen in your life and you slowly begin to drift away from him. Or maybe you're here today and it wasn't something that specifically happened. It just time began to pass. You just got busy. Life began to happen and you slowly drifted away from him. If that's you today, we want to give you the opportunity to recommit your commitment and your walk to following after him. But friends, if that's you in either one of those situations, if you're saying for the very first time, I want to invite Christ in my life. I want to say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Take me, take my mess, take my life, take the pain, take the hurt, take the regrets. I'm yours. If that's you today or you want to say, I want to recommit my life to him while no one's looking around, just simply slip your hand up today and say, include me in that prayer. See those hands. I see those hands all over the room today. You can put those hands down. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone. Repeat out loud after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you said that simple prayer today, we just want to cheer and clap and celebrate for those. Would you cheer with us? Best decision you could have made to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.